you know, there's that you're in a position where you can do something about it, I think. Um, yeah. uh, and, uh, and it's almost like, why not? Because, you know, my experience of grow, growing up in a, a great place, Northeast England, pretty great place, pretty damp, pretty whatever. If you don't know anything different, then you, you stay there, but then you suddenly explore the world a bit and realize actually it's pretty cool to have a bit more blue in your life than gray. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that basically helps you. Uh, but if, if, isn't there even the increasingly scientific evidence to suggest that additional sunlight has massive health benefits? Oh, of um, course it does, yeah. Uh, you know, so not vitamin even, D, yeah. energy, absolutely. All sorts, you're right. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, we might be looking to get a bit more of that. Do do it, do it. Um, we're just talking about better living, folks. Uh, Adam Gordon back in back in Glasgow, probably probably the rainiest place in the UK, I would say. Um, and uh, having been what three, what, a month and a half, maybe six weeks or something in in yeah. Cornwall. Um, yeah. So, you know, great to see that um, you know some serious considerations are happening because, as we said, sometimes we allow inertia to keep us where we are when, in fact, you can change your circumstances. Uh, more readily than you might imagine. Um, and, and I'd go I'm to Sydney. I'd go to Sydney like that. That's the one. That is that would be that's top of my list by miles. Really? Wow! Big big move. I mean, there's it's a not... big career thing though in Sydney. It's like uh, you can't quite do the the same kind of work, um, seeing as it's the time zone is is just an untenable. But um, but yeah, dude, I was in Sydney earlier this year. I was with Bass actually, so I see Bass in the. Uh, chat there we were in sydney for about three uh, maybe two weeks brilliant i mean amazing <laughs> like, yeah. the lifestyle is like it. clearly better yeah. um yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. no worries uh, anyway folks uh, let us know in the chat whether you're happy where you're at we're thinking about moving everyone's thinking about moving to different places um i think that's a, a classic summer thing to do especially if you're in the uk um and have returned uh to uh, to your home base um anyway um we're back everybody it's bring food live on air episode 168 bringing it to you every friday no fail we have got a fantastic show for you today uh because it is one that is really close to my heart as a student anthropologist i'm also always been very interested in how people operate as a group and how you change their operations if you feel as a leader they're not operating the way in which they should. So in other words, how do you execute cultural change within a team that you've inherited or you can see there's some drift in that, in that organization? What do you do as a leader to change that? And we've got some leaders coming in who have direct experience of doing this. Um, and Adam, I totally include yourself in this also uh, with your experience. This would be wonderful to exchange what are the things that you can and should do to make that change? Um, anyway, uh, talking about culture, we have to firstly thank our sponsors for this show, as we always do. Uh, one of the few organizations that had paddled into the waters of cultural assessment, cultural analysis, was our friends at Platypus, platypus.io. Um, make sure you check them out. Um, they are a business that is all about trying to quantify um, team fit. How do you figure out? whether a certain person's natural sort of traits and behaviors are going to chime with the other people in their team. That is something I think very few organizations are exploring. Uh, Platypus.io are one of those businesses that do explore that. So make sure you check those folks out. Um, okay, uh, we are doing the continuing the, the LinkedIn experiment, folks. I hope you're watching this on the company page 
on recruiting brain food on LinkedIn because we're no longer pumping this through my personal account. So that is a big channel, 47,000 or so followers on that channel. Big decision to switch that to a much smaller recruiting brain food follow account. There's only 7,000 people following on the page there. I want you to tell me whether you can actually see this um, because uh, it's obviously, you know, it's, it's I don't know how I don't know how I feel about making this shift because I'm not comfortable right now to say whether it's a good or bad idea. You let me know uh, in the comments below. Uh, okay, quick sound check, folks. Can you hear me, everybody, on Crowdcast on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook? If you can, please do give me a quick comment on the chat. Um, important for me to know that I'm not screwing up the audio um, before we continue much further. We do actually have quite a popular podcast you know people don't realize this but the audio for this goes into the podcast um and it's actually now about 120,000 downloads I, I don't know whether that's good or bad number um but it's a lot of downloads right it sounds like wow it, uh, there's a lot of people have actually listened to this thing um uh, which is which is fantastic considering it is just a audio file from our conversations so um shout out to all of our podcast listeners who no doubt will be listening in um, at different times uh, from the broadcast hour. Anyway, uh, thank you everyone who's saying they can hear me okay. Uh, let's uh, in, uh, welcome back Adam Gordon. Adam, um, great to see you again in your home HQ. Um, we won't talk too much about how wonderful the time was. I'm sure Glasgow will treat you very well as well. Um, how have you been in the last uh, last week since we uh, last spoke? Great. Um, lots of exciting things happening uh, professionally. And I am enjoying being back to no normality. Oh, no, he's depressed and in mourning. We can see it in your eyes, mate. I'm trying to get um, out of that by reading the brain food. Yes, indeed. So what did you read last week? Was it interesting? And uh, uh, pick us out a few things that you want to quickly discuss. Yeah, the first one I thought was, it's not really brain food. It was commentary from you on brain food jobs, yes. which is that uh, the RPOs um, have stopped posting on brain food jobs, which I thought was very interesting. I wanted to ask you about your theory that it was to do with the collapse of the scale-up market, which I couldn't yeah. quite see the link, but uh, be great to find out what you meant by that. And then maybe I'll tell you why I think it might be. Well, yeah, absolutely. Very happy to discuss this. And in fact, we're going to have a talk on this. We're going to do a brain food live in a couple of weeks specifically on this topic, um, which is what is happening to the, the contradiction between what we see, which is high profile tech layoffs, a lot of like negative uh, coverage with regards to high inflation and cutting growth and all this, yet at the same time, continual pressure to recruit candidates like there's candidate shortages still an issue so what i'm seeing um in uh, in 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 sort of not only on the job board but just through conversations with some of these businesses um is that essentially a lot of them have built their growth on the growth of vc back scale ups um so in other words if you look at the rpo uh, sort of uh, uh, uh sub market that's grown in the uk all of them have kind of accelerated through jockeying on the back of companies that are suddenly raising, you know, 500 million, need to recruit a thousand developers or whatever. They couldn't do it uh, sort of with their own recruitment. So they brought in the RPO market to help do that. So 
those companies have all grown up because they're all kind of feeding off the same VC-backed sort of uh, investment. Now, with VCs being much more um, parsimonious and much more conservative with their with their investments and cutting back on their investments, and you, you're starting to see a lot of these high growth companies start being a lot more defensive in their growth plans. Um, and that has a downstream effect on the RPM market, which now needs to pivot to different areas that continue to grow. Um, so that's the, that's my theory on this. So are you you're talking about what companies like um, Seed and Join Talent and Troika, presumably, rather than companies like People Scout and CLO and AMS? They're more, they're, yeah. they're Fortune they're Fortune five hundred FTSE hundred customers. They're not really working with. Yeah, those like so, so, VC backed type. That's right. Yeah, so there's a subcategory of of of, of tech RPOs I call them. Um, so these are these are RPOs that are focused very much on the scale up market. Um, and it's actually been one of the best things that we've seen in recruitment. I think over the past couple of years, yeah, of the of, of, of this type of company. Agree. Um, because we've seen some great recruitment going on and some great sort of uh, great teams and businesses being built. Um, uh, however, they're obviously dependent on this, this continual investment of, of VC money. Um, and without that, without that sort of being there, those companies are going to have to pivot to different places um, that continue to have demand for recruiting. Um, and so, that probably means putting heads with some of these big enterprise players, to be honest. So are you getting and were you getting like from the big traditional RPOs, like the resource, resource solutions and the manpowers and the... Um, People Scouts and companies like that. Where are you getting and are you getting still the same number of jobs from them? Um, interestingly, no. I mean, Cielo do have a, an account with us, um, but they haven't posted anything recently. Um, and I think AMS have an account with us as well. Um, but um, but yeah, basically, the the uh, I would imagine that the um, the mini RPOs, if you want to call it that way, you know, the ones that focus yep. on tech, uh, they're yep. the ones that basically have been more conspicuously growing simply because they're growing yeah. from a smaller start and they're growing yeah. really fast and doing really well. Um, they're the ones that now need to think, okay, where do we need to focus our efforts? Because you can't lean on the VC money too much anymore. Um, and that's we, we've seen that. The, the 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 agility, if you like, of the uh, those companies, um, those newer companies, is going to be tested um, because of this up and down period that everyone's had. These last eighteen months have been particularly crazy um, yeah. Uh, yeah. for for us. But I think the advantage these smaller companies have is that they are even more agile than traditional RPOs are. Um, yep. so, so I'm sure they're going to do very well, uh, even if they have to regroup, um, by the way, Ben, okay. thank you very much. LinkedIn stream is not working. So there's a busted experiment, uh, by the way, Ben, can you just check whether that's not on my personal page, but on the company page, um, is anybody seeing this? Um, uh, I don't know. Um, somebody's watching it. Um, uh, I don't know. Okay. Let's keep going. Um, give us so, another thing. Mate. Yeah. Now that you, now, now that you explained that, I, I understand that, um, with the, with those companies that are focused on like the, the, the much bigger RPO solutions, like with, you know, tens and twenties and fifties of recruiters, I think that <clears throat> some of them may be in a similar position because mm. so many large companies are in a hiring freeze right now. Yeah. Yeah. And of yeah. course in certain industries, a lot of redundancies happening as well right now. So that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the seven habits of bad interviewers. Yeah, I like that. Yes, really um, good. So the the seven habits are 
uh, number one, acting like you're smarter than the person you're interviewing. Number two, focusing on the exact answer they give rather than other context around that. Number three, not giving them hints. So asking a cryptic question and not giving a bit more context about it or what type of thing you're looking for. Poor planning. Oh, how many hiring managers turn up for an interview that they haven't even bothered, you know, looking at the person's CV. Another one was ignoring, actually ignoring the person's CV. Another one was uh, like taking too long. I think they used the term overstretching, but I think it meant like taking too long between interviews, too many interviews and steps and processes. Um, and then the last one was poor group dynamics. So that was, you know, poor um, feedback loops, lack of um, collaboration between hiring manager one, hiring manager two, recruiter, technical assessor, you know, whatever it might be. So, you know, I, I liked I, I liked that. I thought it was interesting. As you know, assessment's not my like main area of strength, but I certainly found that quite accessible. And I think any recruiter who's here needs to go and read that and take a look at, um, are we doing this or are we not doing it? If we're doing these things, let's work out how we can, you know, try and change it and maybe put out some guidelines for hiring managers. Yeah, I mean, I particularly like this uh, this post. I, I always like the post that basically are non-specialist people that are talking about recruitment. And this is just a guy who's a developer, I think, who's obviously been interviewing and, and I have interviewed. And he's taking time to just sort of pause on that, reflect on it and write this post on it. And I just think it just hit true. Every, every, every point just hit true, you know, um, particularly about this idea of, you know, understanding the purpose of the interview and and uh, avoiding this sense of trying to you know, maybe establish dominance. Like sometimes you can see this when, yeah. you know, two people might have a conversation and, you know, one, the interview is trying to dominate, be the dominant person against the person who's actually applying for the job. And you think, I've, you know, everyone's born witness to this type of behavior. And you think, yeah, that's just, um, you know, some, some really... Uh, unprofessional uh, uh, behavior that really needs to be corrected. So, so yeah, really important post, something I think you should share with uh, not only people starting in their career in, in, in any kind of recruiting that type of function, but as a refresher to anybody who's involved in recruiting, because uh, I think we all end up falling into some of these habits, whether we uh, know uh, that they're bad or not. So uh, do check that out, just share the link. Um, okay, we should be on link. We should be back on LinkedIn. By the way, I've just fixed something. I think on the fly, but uh, but yeah, let me know if that's all good. Uh, okay, uh, go ahead, uh, Adam. Um, I think it was from Landing Jobs, the tech talent trends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For anybody yes, that's indeed. in tech, for anybody that's in tech recruitment, this is gold dust for you know uh, how you can plan who you're trying to hire and. Um, tips around, you know, diversity and there's, there's vast amounts of data and information in here. This is essential reading for anybody that is in um, tech hiring. So a few of the trends that stood out to me or a few of the stats that stood out to me, only 14.4% of tech workers are freelance. I thought it was something like 50%. I thought it was a much higher number than that. So that was really eye-opening to me. Almost everybody is an employee, uh, whether it's permanent or free or or, um, or temporary. So I, I'm really surprised that so many people are freelance. Um, Seventeen percent still are female or non-binary. Um, 
I'm surprised cool. it's so low still. Nah, that's that's progress, mate. If you, yeah. if you I think I think that what you've got to look at with these types of stats is not like um what the num what the ratio is now, but the progress over time. Um and I think they've yeah. done this report before. Um, but if you look at it, the progress is always going in the right direction. So as slow as it might be, we're trending in the right space. Uh, so it's almost like you track it over time. Um, and there's there's more and more uh, non-male um, people doing software development, I think. So, so yeah, obviously a long way to go, but I don't think it's, we, we can't be demoralized at the numbers at this point because it takes time to get into this field. Yeah. Yeah. A um, couple of others, um, a very, very small number, 4.2% were either self-taught or through a boot camp. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody else has had some kind of more traditional training. Um, mm -hmm. So I was very, very surprised that that was so low as well. 31% have got some sort of management responsibility. 52% are um, full stack engineers. JavaScript's the most popular language. Um, and then two, two final ones that again really stood out. So nearly 90%, 89% of people were either full or partially hybrid. So hardly anybody is just going into an office, you know, to work the whole time in tech. I think that yeah, means yeah. it's only 11% of people in tech jobs are actually yeah. working in an office full time. And then, does that make does that make sense to you folks? Just in your own businesses, are you seeing that in particular tech uh, individuals, software developers, uh, software architects, people who are actually building software, um, are they uh, basically? It's very conspicuous that they're not in the office all the time. And I think that's definitely going to be an ongoing pattern because the office is probably the worst environment for someone who needs to dive into like deep work. Oftentimes, you can't be doing all this interaction stuff because it takes you out of the zone. You've got to be in it. Um, so, um, you know, the office may be the worst type of environment for software development, in which case, no surprise um, that a very large percentage are majority majority flexi, if not like full remote, you know? Yeah. And then the final stat which really stood out about that was that only 17% are, appear to be working across borders. They're working in international you know, teams and international environments, which is presumably because so many of them are working for smaller organizations, startup, scale-up organizations who are more likely working within the one country. So I was surprised that that was only 17%, but you know, not arguing with and stats. That may well be a, a legitimate future for a lot of remote, you know, it's kind of remote in country yeah. rather than remote anywhere, um, because you want to be firstly, obviously, in the same time zone. Most countries are in the same time zone, apart from mega business, like mega size uh, countries. Um, and uh, and you want to be under the same legislative issue uh, rules. Um, that's not only true for data protection, national security, all those types of issues uh, that are prevalent. Um, but also taxation simplifies the taxation code. Um, uh, you know, you understand a lot more about how how things operate. Um, it's probably going to be the predominant pattern. Um, so, so yeah, very very interesting. Um, and it's a very internationalized um, uh, sample, by the way, folks. I mean, I know a lot of the reports that I share. Um, I, I share where I can from different places, but they're predominantly from US, UK, um, even Europe focused. 
but the stuff that landing jobs have put out there it, it covers like globally there's a lot of latin, uh, latin america there's a lot of african sort of people who've uh, uh contributed there as well so well worth the read if you're interested in you know what is happening at a global scale yeah one more uh yeah quickly newsletter opens as you know I'm not. I don't. I'm not particularly big, or or, in, or I don't particularly know an awful lot about assessment. But what I do know a bit about is writing and communication, and this is the area which I'm most excited about in recruitment. And so I enjoyed the inclusion of your tips for newsletters. Thank you. You've already preempted what I'm going to talk about. Um, the 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 TLDR on this one is it's all about the subject heading. I think we've had a few articles in Brain Food recently which were laid out. The subject heading is going to get you better open rates. The people who wrote this blog, they get 30% open rates for theirs, which is pretty good. Um, but some of the tips uh, that I really enjoyed were include trending topics. Absolutely. Go onto Twitter and see what people are like, you know, uh, what, what are the trending topics on Twitter? Because that when you get it and you go, oh, that's about this. You probably haven't looked at it yet because it's trending, but you, you, you they might be the first people that are going to teach you and you think, yeah, I'm going to open this to hopefully get a summary of what this is all about. Yeah, cool way of getting people opening it. Avoid long subject lines. Absolutely. I think that's really important as well. Use shorter words to say the same thing. Again, if you're on Twitter, then you're probably already used to doing this. Um Include an emotional hook, like um, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna really love this, or uh, you're gonna be, you, you know, you're gonna be more successful if you open this. I always say, I always say this: take a look at this; it'll make you more popular. People <laughs> click it; it'll make you more popular with your peers. You've got to, um, you've, you've got to basically lean on. Again, we go back to us being shaven monkeys, folks. That's all we are. Uh, you know, human beings are, are literally biological entities that are subject to the rules of evolution. Um, and we just got to understand what that is. Uh, if you give people an opportunity to increase their status or increase their capability, uh, you know, their 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 uh, competence in general, their status. Uh, if you can somehow put that into the subject, that's going to help that person. Uh, you, you're going to help sort of uh, what's get an open rate in there. What's in it for what is what's in it for them? Knowing your audience was was another one of the tips. What's in it for them? What 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 is going to benefit them by clicking here? Even if you've only given them four words to try and get them to do it. I follow a boxing channel on YouTube called IFL TV, and they use the same words on their video descriptions all the time. One of them is brutally honest. They always say, you know, Tyson Fury, brutally honest in this video. You know, people click on it. The brutal truth about such and such. People click on it because they use these words. Um, Yes, it is literary clickbait. Yes, it is. It is. It is. There's no doubt. And and this is where there is a conundrum because we don't want to be contributing to the clickbait uh, world. Um, at the same time, we have an efficacy problem because if we have a message to send, it's like we want to, we want, we want that to happen. We want people to read it. Um, and who is to judge what is quality content or not? It's very hard for that to, 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 to kind of figure out. Um, so, uh, oh my God, <laughs> Coogan has been referred here. Can't believe it. Um, never thought that, never thought that would ever happen on uh, Brimfield Lights. 
Coogan Cassius. <laughs> but the, listen, the the thing is that the thing is though, absolutely, Ben's right. Is that not just literally clickbait? It is. But you've got a job when you are producing that subject head, heading. You've got a job, and that job is to get people to open that. When they open your message, you need further clickbait to get them to keep clicking. And that clickbait isn't just like empty. It needs to be useful, relevant content. But absolutely use the sensational like headings to get people to do what you want them to do. That on, on the, clicks. By, by the way, the, the abuse of this, just to defend Ben a little bit, the abuse of this, in other words, people who are very, very good at creating headlines that get opens, um, but then disappointing with the value in the end, because that happens a lot, right? Um, the 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 solution is something like brain food. That's basically why recruiting brain food started back in the day, five, six years ago, because I was pissed off at the amount of clickbait that was out there. I was seduced by some of these opens, uh, these opening lines. And I was like, oh my God, not again. And I just thought, look, is that you felt like a fool because you were yeah. tricked? And I thought, you know what? What I'm going to do is create a create curated newsletter and just guarantee the quality myself. Um, and you know that way you can open everything, and it, you might disagree with it, but it's not going to be crap. I guarantee you, because I've gone through it. Um, so. The opposite. The opposite is, and I can't remember what it's called, but they're a mega business. They're a huge business now, and what they do is they um, produce sensational headlines like you you'll 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 cry when you see where dustin hoffman lives today you know and um uh olivia newton john's granddaughter is the most beautiful woman alive or stuff like that and you never click on that and you never click on that because you clicked on it before and it's like you know it's just crap behind that yeah we we can do another conversation on our ethical responsibilities for creating trust in the wider information universe uh because i i agree at a, at, a, at a practical level doing our jobs we probably need to do more click stuff but at a wider level what's our ethical responsibility so ben i think we might have to get you on the show and talk about that um anyway let's get on with the show today um which is about cultural change uh or for ta how do you change your culture let's bring on our guests um i'm definitely gonna ask you about this as well um adam so get ready for this um okay let's bring on rasam uh, debut for him here. I think John Hull was here as well. Is that Jonathan Hull? It is, I guess. Yeah. Um, and Nims is here as well. Nims is actually an expert on this. Uh, so let's make sure she's here. Okay, there's Rasam. How hey. are you doing, mate? Great yeah. to see you. Um, Rasam, um, for the folks who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself, who you are, what it is you do? Sure. Thank you very much. Can you hear me, everyone? Yeah. yeah cool thank you hung well i'm rasam hey, hey everyone uh so i'm from paris um currently in sunny paris uh i work uh in recruitment for 15 20 years i've been working at doctolib which is a scale-up french scale-up uh, for the past five years now uh, i'm doing a transfer myself and starting a new job in september in a couple of weeks uh by the way so yeah very happy to be joining you all Exciting stuff. Um, well, congratulations on the new job, first of all, Rassam. Um, uh, John, let's uh, introduce you. I think you've been on the show before, but let's uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What it is you do? Hi, I'm John Hull. Um, I work for Balfour BT, which is a UK construction business. We've got about um, 11,000 people in the UK and about 20,000 globally. And previously, that worked across many sectors. And change is really important, especially in larger businesses, right? 
Well, I think it's the, the reason why people at your level get a job is in order to affect cultural change, right? So, I mean, yes, why would that vacancy <laughs> even be there? Um, so this is part of the reason why I was very keen to get you on. Uh, and Nims, great to see you again. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Yep, perfect. Okay, so hi everybody, I'm Nims. Lovely to be here again. I'm um, talking about culture. Um, I work in the Ministry of Defence and I look at the organisation design and development. So um, essentially structure of an organisation and then the dynamics of an organisation, which I think both matter um, regardless of what kind of scale you're looking at. Okay, fantastic stuff. Guys, let's kick off with the first big question is, you're a leader of a business or a department how do you know that cultural change is required um is uh, do you feel it in your what is it something like it's just osmotically you feel this or is there some sort of evidence or is there some sort of way in which you can tell that this is a situation that needs to have some sort of cultural change adam you stuck your hand up first so let's go with you people are unhappy and the organization's underperforming e either of those two things or both of those things Right. So, so let's deal with them separately. Firstly, people are unhappy. So um, is that obvious? I mean, how, how do people, how do you know as a manager that that's the case? Uh, how do you surface up the emotional uh, vibe, if you like, of the team? Uh, any, any thoughts on this? I think there's a disconnect hung between the numbers, often the data, if there is any, and the, the anecdotal feedback. So on, on the surface, say in a big recruiting team, you could say, well, we're filling roles, right? Or what at scale or not. But the feedback from the stakeholders, both recruiters and the business will be different, won't reflect that so-called success. Right, that's an interesting angle. So there's a there's the disconnect between two types of information yeah. you might collect. Um, the quantitative data, which is, you know, stuff that we kind of think is really cool and, and more important these days, but also the qualitative data, if that if they don't match, then yeah. that's a sign. So where, where the one is more positive, the other is negative. Like you might have ostensibly a very happy team, but yeah. like very poor data. Okay, there's a problem. Or on the other side, you might have like the ex extraordinarily uh, performance data going through the roof, but everyone's like really annoyed. Then again, there's an issue that needs to be thought about. Um, I think we've lost Rasam there, but never mind. Let's see if we can come back. Um, Nims, any thoughts on how do we know there is a problem? You you ask. I think it's you know we always kind of go to a point of assuming or or thinking about it ourselves, looking at the data. Why don't we ever ask? Uh, you know. The, the, the team you know what is it like and bring that into our awareness I think for me I know when things are wrong when we can't execute some of our basic tasks when we get stuck in some of the really basic things of how we do stuff then I know that there is an issue with with how the team is because if you can't execute something and it's becoming harder than it is then there's a real problem yeah very interesting so we've got execution we've got sentiment rasam have you got any thoughts to add to this like how do we know that the team that there is a cultural change issue that's required um yeah so i, I agree with everything that has been said obviously uh turnover uh, as the uh, uh the ultimate kind of kpi can be can be one of them but um i think that in ta lack of of uh, alignment on 
so this is very specific to tools, but like tools times really uh, behind tools usage, lack of alignment of how we use the tool within the team. Um, you can um, undercover some um, stronger problems in the team that um, it's more around the values and the culture itself. And maybe we'll, we can talk about it, but off, and let me give you an example. If a team has, uh, has strong values and beliefs uh, behind diversity or candidate experience, but don't use after that statement some of the tools that help to that, uh, that undercovers maybe some communication problems and also will link to uh, trust and happiness of the team. Um, from my experience, that, that was uh, some s stuff that I perceived. Yeah, so there's another sort of uh, analogous sort of angle to what the thing that John mentioned, which is a, a disconnect between, let's say, stated commitments um, and then reveal behaviors, if you like. Um, so there may be, you know, we we think this is the truth. And then there's, there's an action that needs to happen as a result of that commitment. But those actions are not performed for whatever reason we can perceive that that's going to be some sort of issue. It's really interesting to know because I wonder how many times is it even possible to, to manage a team and not know there's a cultural problem? And I guess you, you might end up, it seems to me you should know, right? I mean, is that, you, you get it. I mean, like a lot of people, are, some people have got very strong emotional intelligence and other people have got very limited emotional intelligence. And if you're limited in it, which is not, no fault of your own necessarily, then you may miss it. And that's why, as I think uh, Nim said, you know, you've got to ask people and you've got to ask them in a couple of different ways. You've got to use the yeah. um, uh, qualitative and quantitative. Yeah. yeah. And maybe here's that, where we, we, sorry, John, go ahead. No, I think to, to build on that, it's, it's you, you know, they're going to be unhappy is do a, I always do a quick dive in the first couple of weeks. Are, if you're taking TA, are they doing, are they able to execute the jobs that they've been hired to do? So are they bogged down with other stuff that's built up over time, whether it's admin or, or other requests that, you know, isn't really part of what they've signed up to, which is a big disconnect. And, you know, is the leadership or management enabling them to do that? So are they, are they compounding the issue or are we getting stuff out of their way? Yeah, performance, I think, is important because it's hard to be enthusiastic um, or high morale if there's a persistent failure to deliver on objectives, right? No one wants to be mm. failing against those exactly. targets. Yeah. So, so I think that's very corrosive to your uh, morale if you do that. If you, I mean, Anybody who goes to the gym or has gone to a gym would know this, right? If you set yourself a ridiculous target, you don't hit it, uh, you, you, your morale actually erodes even further. Um what kind of questions do you ask in order to test the sentiment of the team? Because it, it strikes me that you can't just go there and say, oh, are you happy? Because they may feel, oh, you know, they may feel in, they may feel intimidated by you. They may feel like they need to say that they are. Do you have any experience of like good questions to ask to try and understand whether the person is actually happy in job and in, in, in team? Adam, go ahead. Well, I mean, you you should be able to ask your team if they're happy but if you don't feel like you can maybe you need to work on your management style <laughs> no i'm, you know, I'm not saying you can't check them if I'm, you don't want to ask that is, you post check them yes or no start of every 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 morning 8 8 30 a.m comes up on their screen or 9 a.m comes up on their screen are you happy yes or no yes and no you know you measure the energy of the organization by pulse checking teams that's something that a lot of startup and scale-up companies do and i think it's a great way of doing it no, I thought yeah, I think a, da ask, a daily ask, pulse check. 
No, but asking that binary is, is I don't think, adequate because a lot of people are going to be no, yes, no, yesing, yesing against that, even if they may not be particularly feeling that way. Go ahead, we always ask what's what's prevents you from doing the best job you can, right? Because, well, I think in any department, it's not just recruitment, but people say more resource, right? And of course, that may or may not be achievable or possible. And often it isn't the resource that's the issue. It's where the resources are and where you're dedicating them to. So what is getting in the way of, let's say it's a recruiter, of them doing the best job or filling the mandate of roles that they've got or whatever it is, you've seen, you know, you'll get some sort of platitudes, but generally if you keep digging, you'll get you'll get to one and you ask enough people, you'll you'll get get to themes that are affecting it. Oh, so I've got okay. two perspectives. Oh. Go ahead. So I think one of the themes that I noticed in this conversation is the level of incongruence that we relate to culture, the gap between what people say and what people do. I think your question about are people happy and if you're going to tell your manager that there's an influence of power, which is what you're referring to, Hung, about, you know, am I, am I going to be, you know, be told what I want to hear or am I going to hear the truth? And, you know, I think that depends on lots of things in an organization in terms of how i would ask what questions i would ask i would ask kind of an open question about what's your experience of working here or in this team and i think we shouldn't equate good culture to happy i think that's a bit of a misnomer so uh, we need to be really careful mm. around like what what is it we believe about being happy in organization what are some of the other factors that contribute to our happiness that could be impacting us while in role that's outside of our role People could be miserable we, for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Can, can we just explore that a little bit? Because you're absolutely right. When you just said that that co comment, uh, my vision just uh, uh, David Brent just appeared in my mind like very prominently um, because he was a manager that was obsessed with happiness, wasn't he? Obsessed with everyone being uh, like him being popular, everyone being happy. Clearly, running a dysfunctional department, running it into the ground, and no one was actually happy. So. How do we, so, okay, how do we understand, how do we un unpack this? I inherit a team. Everyone seems happy. Like, how, how, do, how do we know that's not actually a good thing? I don't think it's about knowing it's a good thing. It's about what what is our belief around that perspective that they're happy and do we genuinely think that or are they fronting because sometimes that happens i hate to say it especially when someone new comes on board we want to show them that this is a functioning team we want you know we put on our best you know put our best foot forward like we do in interviews okay so is that really kind of a, a good way of looking at it um but i think sometimes this what i do is just i simply observe what is it that i notice and I'm very instinctive, so I pick up on, I use my intuition a lot. And then, then I kind of ask questions, so I do inquiry, and then I look at different sources of information and then, you know, ask people generally. And that's kind of part of the information that I gather. Yeah, and we've got to reconnect it also with performance, I guess. I mean, that's one yeah. of the, the key things, right? So go back to that. Rasam, you, you want to say something? No, yeah, I was about to say that, I mean, first of all, happiness is a can be a very broad kind of sensation especially when it comes to work if you put it in the workplace like being happy at in the workplace is something that maybe i as a leader as a manager can have an effect on uh for a team member whereas he can be like sad or unhappy in his life as a whole and there i have my own limits there so i'd say as a leader or a manager my my role is to understand and define with my team player like where are the moments and the the spheres where i we can both uh, work together 
on the work, uh, sometimes maybe on personal stuff, but mostly on work. And then when it comes to TA, like we all know, there's not millions of stuff. There's some personalities that want more impact versus numbers. Some want money versus uh, like identifying their their kind of drivers and um, you know consistently uh, working on it. Every one of ones, like okay, well, we said that this was important for you. Like what happened since last week or last month or last quarter? How are we you know not happy, but how are we um, you know growing on these levers together? Uh, has been helpful. Yeah, I think that leads into being able to track this a little bit as well. I think going back to your first point as well, Adam, the, the idea of having some consistent way of measuring people's feeling is useful um, mm. because you can't just rely on your memory um, or you can't just rely on, you know, that it used to be this way. There's got to be a measurement of a way of doing this. Okay, let's move on to doing something about cultural issues. Um, I think that the best way to change a culture is to get rid of people and get new people. Um, is that the most efficient way to change culture, folks? Simply swap the people out. Um, uh, you've gone, there's 10 people in my team, three people are malcontents. See you later. Get rid of those people. Get three other people in. Boom, change the culture. Is that not more efficient than any other method of cultural change? Thoughts on this? Um, uh, let's keep with you, Rasam. Have you ever done, <laughs> ever done this? Like, in, <laughs> No, I haven't. I haven't fired the whole team to change the culture. Uh, I'd say that the two main experiences of, of culture, because the the one I, I, I've been uh, experiencing in the fa past five years is uh, hyper growth and scaling, which is very different of other experiences I had before or e even the others that I will have in the future, because in, in the scale up and hyper growth, there's a kind of energy and alignment, natural alignment of everyone through some core values of the company already set in and we're and every, there's mostly good news in the company so it's very different than but in in one of the companies when i arrived it was exactly something where there was some old school kind of mindsets around ta uh, lack of knowledge lack of expertise some people with it with a higher willingness than others to you know want to do that um from my experience, I think, yes, you need at least a core kind of set of uh, either people, mindset or um, expertise. So that sometimes uh, requires maybe to fire someone and, and hire someone else or just add someone in, in that. Uh, but mostly, um, you know, if you talk about a culture of a company as a whole, uh, TA uh, or even within a TA, one team only represents, let's say, a, a certain ratio. If you want to have a consistent and uh, um, impact on a whole company, uh, you can't just replace teams, 100% teams. So. Right, right. Good good answer, Rassam. So what you're saying is replacing people can work, but at a localized level because, you know... And how, especially how what do you... And what do you bring? Like, because I think that a lot of people are mostly positive and want to change for good. And, and you know, you can have an impact. But if you want to, you say that you really can't work on some per, uh, an individual. Yes, maybe at that person. And then you have to say, OK, but what is the impact of and where am I going to bring something new? And what is going to and, and often it's maybe an expertise in that case to just gain a bit of time on, on the momentum of a, of a team. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Nims, I want to go to you on this because um, you're working for public sector, government organizations. Typically, they're, they're less uh, trigger happy, so to speak, in terms yeah. of getting rid of people. Oftentimes, there's more protections. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, uh, is there a scenario where actually getting, you know, moving someone away from the, the situation is, is better for everybody? Um, and how do you know that? Well, 
I've seen it happen where one person has been removed from the team and it's changed the dynamics of an, the entire team. So it, it does happen. Um, I think it's efficient. That, you know, your word efficient is good. Is it effective? Uh, I think there's a question mark I've got around the level of effectiveness from a long-term perspective, because I think some of those dynamics still remain. And also we need to remember that as a lead, as a, as a leader in talent acquisition, you have a disproportionate impact on the culture. So your yes. part of what you own will still remain. So what are you changing out and what is it that you own? Yeah, and also who you bring in. I think back to Rasan. And who point, you bring right? in. Yeah. You, you, you get got rid of someone who you understood to be a negative person. Okay, how does that work? John, what are your thoughts? Would you sit there and turn this person around? Or, you know, when do you pull the trigger? Too binary, right? But um, I think it's about clarity and leadership and vision, right? So if, if it's all well and good. You can say someone's not performing or they're toxic but what are your expectations of the team so you've got to state that out at the beginning and I, I sort of agree you can take out one or two individuals over, over time that does make a difference partly from a it's a statement often you know if, if if it's been known that one individual or a group are toxic it's important to lever them out rather than people who are just perceived to be underperforming because they might not be in the right role so your structure might not not fit the the service you're trying to deliver all of that that needs analysis but it, it you need to manage those expectations or, or set the expectations of what's acceptable and it's it's more about behavior and um uh intent than it is about capability often yeah good point it's not a performance driven per se uh it's yeah. are there behaviors contributing to a yeah. negative culture which ultimately leads to negative team performance i think we've all seen that um again i'm just thinking like football analogies mm. here where you know you, you've got certain players on the team that they're they're they're, they're, they're demotivated um they've they want out and then suddenly that creates a culture within the business like they start taking liberties in training and mm. that if you don't police that then suddenly your culture starts sliding away then yeah maybe you need to start you know thinking about moving those people on as the most efficient way to, to do it rather than spend too much time trying to turn them around even though turnaround i guess is a responsibility of leadership you can't just like go in there immediately uh, get rid you've got to give people a chance to to, to turn it around right mm. But I think that yeah, I don't know. Is, it's, it's dignity oh, sorry, of yeah. choice. If they if they know what the expectation is, they can either choose and leave, or they. But they're not. It's not a surprise if if those conversations start if that behaviour or is, whatever hasn't changed. What What is the technique then, uh, everybody? In terms of like, you don't have an objective to necessarily cycle people in or out of the organisation, but you think that that might happen because some people might not then adapt to the new way that you want to work. How do what are the steps of how do how do I communicate my project to the team in this case? Is there like certain things that I should be doing in order to make sure that everyone at least respects the the, the journey and the decision making that we're going to go and undergo? I think it's about well, it depends on your context, doesn't it? In terms of what's the burning platform, or is it you know hyper growth? Is it are you in a difficult cost situation? Is it a bit of both um but you've got to set out why the change is needed 
right so what are you aiming for so you know just carrying along the same way won't get the, the different result that you may or may not be after and then just communicate communicate that relentlessly because you know over time you know and, and regularly with the right audiences whoever they may be ideally the whole team but that may, may not be possible all the time okay okay stop press that's actually a really good first point to, to note down um the first point would be like track what the current trajectory is in terms of performance outputs and all the rest of it and then say we need to be here this is the job this is the new task and then make sure everyone is aware of this new thing um uh, that's very explicit and then repetition of the objective over and over so that everyone just is more aware that this is not not something that is episodic but a persistent target we all have to reach and therefore some adjustment behavior wise is required Okay, very good. What else should I be doing if I wanted to make a change for this uh, uh, this uh, this team, uh, apart from long-term objective and repetition? I'd ask the team to co-create what that plan looks like, because if it's going to be your plan, you're going to be sailing alone if no one else is on the bus. And I think, you know, one of the issues is that we're, we're I find that way that is maybe a bit oppressive and I like autonomy and I like contribute contributing so I'm like if this is the target the new target what are we all going to do to get there so everyone takes ownership and responsibility for their role which I think is important and then they know and then there's no moving kind of back because you know they've done that and they've contributed and they've agreed so for me it's about individual commitments, individual responsibilities, collective planning, co-creating in order to move that forward to be successful. Yeah, really like it. So this is about getting the consensus. So everyone mm. else is committed. It's a classic change management, isn't it? Yeah. Um, get everyone agreed at the, as early as you can, rather than just dropping the plan in. Um, yeah. I think the leader needs to set the objective, but how to get there. Okay, yeah. team. Um, get, talk to the team about how they can contribute to get us there. Um, and then once they're all signed up on the document, um, we can we can crack through. And in fact, modern collaborative software helps us do this, doesn't it? Um, uh, you know, you could set up some shared document. Hey, folks, everyone contribute your ideas here. Um, you've got a week to put your thoughts in, yada, yada, yada. Um, but then after a certain point, we're gonna we're gonna lock the the the, the commitments and say this is what we're gonna shoot for for at least the next period of time and then everyone is kind of has already been pre-committed if you like uh, to to doing this. Um, okay, uh, Adam, I feel you wanna say something. No, okay, that's fine. Um, Rasam, I've lost the video on you, but um, uh, uh, so I'm I'm guessing you might want to say something. Um, do you have any thoughts again on how do we kind of impress upon the uh, the team that okay here's the behavioral change we need uh, to make to to, to hit uh, this new objective. I think we might have lost Rasam. Uh, yeah, okay, uh, I hope you you still hear me and see. Me. Um, yeah, can you can, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Oh, all oh, right. Sorry, I don't know if you can still hear. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, no. Um, just adding a word on. On uh, again, my experience is that uh, a lot of time um, on the time lapse of cult culture change or new projects, you come in as a leader, you sit with the team, you do a workshop. Uh, everyone, uh, you know, brings their own ideas. You 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 have a you have a set of values or or some next actions, and then. 
um, you start doing the actions. And then the third part, which is the more mo most important uh, for me, is the accountability uh, part for a leader. Like when and how do you make sure as a leader that we're acting on day per day, or week after, month after on what we said. Um, and here, most often there's two blockers. One is that when we want to do something and act on a change it's it's complex often it's complex and it can need uh, more skills or more courage so for instance we want to uh, be uh, seen as a peer uh, uh, towards the business uh, and and act and have more more kind of influence on the business but that's hard right because it's we we said it everyone wants it and the leadership supports that but day after day uh, the recruiter is is in the review with his hiring manager and if the hiring manager is a bully that's a kind of hard thing and and, and making that accountable and 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 so that's the first thing of the complexity and and the second i would say is is like um making sure that people, um, you know, have the uh, opportunity to do it um, uh, regardless of what the pace of, of the business can be. For instance, an, another example would be, uh, um, you know, if we say that user first is really important and candidate experience is really important, the next day, if uh, we see something that um, a candidate that needs a feedback, et cetera, um, we need to say something. And if the team doesn't trust each other, uh, that's that can be because uh, we haven't talked about it because once you have the, the same set of values you want to go, uh, sometimes you just don't do it because the, you didn't do the job of making sure everyone trusts each other with the team and they know each other, they bond. And and, and we say culture team, uh, the team word in the culture side is really important, I'd say. That's actually a really interesting angle of, of, of thinking about like the interpersonal relationships between the team members is something that we need to kind of engineer. We need to make sure that's a very, very strong group because that's going to help the team basically fill in the gaps when, you know, the, given the, the, the style of work recruitment is, it's not always possible for one person to do everything that they should do in the course of a day. Um, uh, because you you get interrupted all the time. There's things occurring. Um, there's an emergency you need to take care of that takes you away from this project that's also super urgent. There's going to be things dropped. That's when the strength of the interpersonal relationships between other team members can really step in and support um, support what's going on there. Um, okay, cool, uh, folks. We always do this in the middle of every show. I know it's coming to the end of the show, uh, but we've got to do it anyway because it's very very important. So just a quick break. Reason why we do this is because Brain Food Live has to come off air um, and it should never be a place where the conversation needs to stop. So I want everyone to take a minute. Michael already knows how to do it. Stick your LinkedIn profile into the chat stream or the comment thread on LinkedIn now and make sure you connect with everyone else who is also putting in their LinkedIn profile links. Um, the reason why we want to do this, folks, is because everyone who's watching this right now is obviously interested in this conversation. Therefore, wouldn't it be great if you could walk away from this chat with 20, 30, 40, 50 people that also are passionate about this topic of cultural change in a TA team? Uh, then go ahead and have that conversation offline, wherever you want, however you want. Make sure you walk away with a strengthened network as a result of this conversation. Um, okay, cool. Accountability. How do we make sure we have a, a, a team member um, uh, and we think that this person is kind of trying to get away with not delivering on commitments uh, uh, somewhat? So how do, how do we, uh, when do we know when to give up on this person? Um, how do we uh, increase the, the fair pressure to make sure this person turns it around? 
is there a technique, a management technique you can talk about where maybe you've had experience of turning around what you thought was previously a lost cause or are they genuinely a lost cause? How do we do that? Uh, thoughts on this. Adam, let's go to you. You've been a manager a long time. Uh, ever had this experience? Uh, yeah. I mean, if the person's a lost cause, you fire them. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to not do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to... Like, how right. do we get... Well, I already said... Look, okay. You make the, if you're trying not to do that, I don't know why you'd be trying not to do that, but if you're trying not to do that, you move them into a role where they are a individual contributor or an individual, an internal consultant or something like that, where they're not managing anybody else and they are not, um, you know, collaborating as much. So, okay. That's actually a fair, a fair, like repositioning someone is actually a fair way to try the next step. So rather than go to DEFCON 5, you think, okay, um, what we take this person, we repurpose them in some way where, you know, perhaps some of their more negative uh, uh, behaviors are going to be mitigated because they're not sort of in this in this scenario where they're so high in demand. I've, I've seen this before in the sense that you have certain people that are mavericks, you know, they, they, they want to uh, walk to their own sort of beat. Um, sometimes they're also quite effective, which individually but they're terrible in team and you think, okay, I need to figure out a way where I can make the use of this person, but not have them disrupt um, or disrespect what everyone else is doing. Um, and it may well I, be I you've got to reposition. I can't think of very many examples of that, but what I do of, of where, where that would be the scenario, but I, I do go to Colin's comment on the chat there, which was competitive teams can be as, effective or something like that as collaborative teams that was something like that the words he used and you know that makes me think of sales teams of course it makes me think of recruitment agency teams where you know people are often driven by blinkers on behaviors which is it's all about what i need to achieve and i don't give a shit about what anybody else needs to achieve they are in the right job for them they're in an individual job where you know their desk is their business you know and all that kind of thing. So, I, but I can't think of very many examples where you'd keep somebody who was just a twat. No, uh, but, but I think it, it's, the sales example is exactly the re one of the reasons where that would occur. Um, because if you're running a sales team, you've got one amazing biller, you know, and you think, all right, my target is based on group target and this person is 50% of that, you're not going to get rid. So I, I totally understand how that works, but this is a different mechanic between internal TA where probably we're not individually targeted in this way. Um, but taking your point, Colin, I think sometimes sometimes having um, a competitive edge within team can create an urgency of delivery which yeah. is, 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 is useful. Sometimes that's, that's a useful thing, particularly if you're striving very hard for something. Um, I mean, the, okay. other, the other area, the other area might be in tech type teams or STEM type areas where the person is quite objectionable, but they've got amazing skills. And what you would do in that scenario is put them into some sort of innovation program or something like that, where they just sit and try and make things and break things and do stuff like that and come up with things. And they don't really need to do a lot of you know collaboration, but there's not, a lot of other examples. Yeah, actually, the tech example is exactly where I was thinking. I remember a good friend of mine who is a maverick, but a terrible team player. Um, uh, like you just, it's too high maintenance, you know? It's like, okay, you're brilliant. You go and do that stuff, but you got to just mitigate how much interaction they have with everyone else because everyone else is more systemic and they just want to get on with the process. Anyway, so, okay, let's let's talk about this. Um, in, we're coming to the end of this. Um, 
give us one tip everybody that you would give a le hard lesson that you've learned in your journey as a leader or as an observer uh, as a consultant of cultural change where you can say you know what this is actually quite important i did it's not obvious but this is the thing i would do uh, again if i was ever in charge of a team that needed to have cultural change like one bit of advice you can give to uh, the people watching this um john you want to kick us off with this yeah I'd, I'd say don't assume that bringing people from the external world is always the right one. Yeah, maybe they exacerbate an existing problem. If it's an if if, if the yeah. problem is structural, swapping yeah. people in, like you may have actually got rid of a person that was a perfectly decent uh, employee, and then you only realise that that was the case when you've just hired the person you thought would solve it, but they end up replicating those behaviours. Um, okay, Nims, uh, how about you? Uh, give one one bit of advice for us. Be really explicit with what you mean about your expectations about accountability and get your team to be really explicit because when you are there's no way to hide yeah yeah we don't want to have to read between the lines there's already too much of that isn't there um yeah. you know, say the thing basically yeah. um it's actually a classic form of writing like a lot of times when you write or read an email if you're trying to interpret what the manager means like what is the ask be very very clear what the damn ask is otherwise you're just asking people to put all of this thought into what this opaque meaning is and guess what they're going to attach their own meanings to it yeah. in some way that is going to be different from what you expected um rasam um this is actually very pertinent for you because you're about to enter a new job so i guess you need to be thinking about this um like what are the things in your mind as you go into this new thing like okay if you do need to change things a little bit you know what what's the one thing you're going to keep in your mind as you go ahead and take the first step well in my in my uh, uh, in my moment, a lot of people have been um, giving me advice, saying like, "Don't come as a Superman. Don't want uh, like t the timing is really important. Don't don't uh, think that you have to change everything um, um, really quickly, and especially don't um, lose confidence uh, in yourself because you have been really good." in being innovative, doing uh, kind of great stuff, et cetera. And you can come in a, in a context where it doesn't work and you say, okay, I'm the problem. My magic isn't working anymore, et cetera. And so taking the time, uh, that that is like personally, but um, what I really thought was useful in the past years for me, and I'm, I'm really getting back to this uh, idea of trust within the team. Every time I had a problem, it was it was linked to uh, personal um, uh, elements of trust within the team members because most of the TA cultural changes are ethic or kind of trends that everyone agrees on. Like no one's going to say, I don't want a more diverse team. I don't want to have more influence on the business. I don't want to uh, use better tools. Everyone more, more or less, let's say, uh, the majority of recruiters accept that. And then it blocks either on complexity and then you have to work them with the complexity and make it more simple or it it, it it doesn't work because the team members don't trust each other. And that's where it was the most useful. And I had the, the, the best moments, let's say, as a leader is getting in room with people, um, understanding how you can give at eventually arrive at a moment when you know that you can give brutal <laughs> to get into brutal feedback to someone um, and you know 100 percent that they are going to get receive it purely and and not going to say oh he's going and and, and to be toxic about it and if you get to that point most of the challenges can be done 
That's actually a really important point. Um, that the quality of the relationship, and this is true for any relationship, I would say, is is how receptive people might be to honest and tough feedback. Um, because it, it's it, if you're able to, to take that, if you have the relationship where you're confident that that's not destructive to the relationship, then both of you can share information that is important for improvement without fearing that the relationship will be jeopardized or there'll be consequences for this. Um, and this, I think, is one of the toughest parts of management, especially in experienced managers, where they feel that, that they fear the consequences of, of sometimes saying the tough truth um because they're worried about okay is this going to lead to a problem person or is this going to lead to political issues down the line uh, but the ability to do that absolutely jonathan it is about a uh, radical candor uh, but it's about in order for radical candor to exist the trust relationship needs to be built somehow maybe that's a topic for another brain food live how do we build trust particularly for now in a more distributed team because i think that's actually tougher uh, back in the day when everyone was locked in we're just spending so much time together inevitably trust will occur simply because the amount of time we're in each other's presence uh, now it's going to be a lot more diffused how do we build trust in a remote environment that could be another topic for brain food live let me know folks if you're interested in that topic in the comments below adam i hate to leave you with the final word but seems that that seems to be the case as your last person to speak give us one tip for managing cultural change that you know that you've learned from your uh, your, your your kind of journey as a manager and a leader well it's not not hugely dissimilar to nims but um like constant communication ongoing communication when you learn something new as a leader make sure everybody else that needs to know about it, they know about it as well. Um, because like you don't want days to go past and then they find something out from somebody else. So just like ongoing transparency and communication. Yeah, really, really good point. And we're going to be talking about this actually in a couple more weeks. There's another, I haven't published a new Brain Food Live for, for September. That'll be out today, hopefully, if we've got the time this afternoon. But one of the things we're going to be talking about is how to handle layoffs um because we've seen a lot of that going on we've seen a lot of people being lambasted online for you know the crying ceo meme that we've seen um we've seen sort of people say oh my god i can't believe they did it by email uh the, you know the guy on zoom you know did the mass zoom call and then it occurred to me you know what is there a good way to do it because it's a tough situation and almost whatever you do you, you might be then backwash with some kind of criticism um and is it even possible at times to do the, the overly humane thing which is one-to-one -one meetings with everybody because what if things get leaked and as you say adam people don't hear it from you they hear it from someone else who basically had the information earlier so we'll definitely have to do that uh brain food live as well in the future okay that's it folks we're out of time so let me just thank our amazing guests um nims dawan great to see you uh hope you have a very good weekend we'll definitely bring you back for more cultural related uh brain food live I think you've got a great contribution to make. Um, John, great to see you again, sir. Uh, again, I might have to talk to you about like recruiting at high volume at some point also. So I'll ping you a message if you're coming back. Uh, and Rasam, great to have you on the show, sir. Um, congratulations on the new job. Do let us know when the, the information is public. Uh, we look forward to seeing uh, your next step on that journey, sir. I think Rasam's got somebody at home who's been hanging about waiting for a lift, by the way. I think really. <laughs> Oh, Dad, quickly take me to the party. Dad, I quickly take me to the PC. Something like I think, that. I think that's true, Rasam. You got to go. You got to go. <laughs> take, take care of more important As business. As usual. See Thank you, you very much. <laughs>
That's cool. I think you're right. Um, we might have got uh, Rassam into trouble there. Anyway, that was a really interesting show. The only frustration for me is that obviously we had another like several hours to talk about this, um, but we don't, uh, so we have to come off air. Um, anyway, folks, that's it. Um, thanks for watching. We're back next week. Next week on Friday, what are we talking about? We're talking about how to create a recruitment content engine. Um, Adam, I think you'd be interested in this because you think you know everything about content engines. <laughs> we've, we've got some great LinkedIn content people. We've got some other people that work in recruitment that understand how to basically make content easier. Uh, because I know a lot of us are sitting there thinking, oh, I wish I could blog. I wish I could do this. We never do it because it's such a matter of work. Well, guess what? There's a few tricks that can make you kind of produce content really quickly. That's going to be on the show next week. Make sure you sign up. Ah, okay, that's it. Um, Adam. That was all right, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I loved that. Absolutely. Really enjoyed yeah, it's it. Good, good one. Um, again, I think we just need more time. I, I, increasingly, I think we need to split the review away from the, the, the panel. Um, Ivan's, Ivan's idea was not a bad one, actually. Do you know we should do that? I mean, that, it's extra work for us, though. I don't know whether you've got the capacity to do it. Um, but, um, but, yeah, maybe we do a review show separate to Brain Food Live. We do it midweek or something. In fact, why am I? Why don't I should ask the audience? Audience, what do you reckon? Should we split the review away from the panel and then you know be able to have more space to have the discussion on both? Because I think they're both a bit constrained now, aren't they? Um, where actually they're both worth an hour because we could easily talk about those those topics. All right, let me think about pull how to them, do that. Pull them on. Pull them on. Pull them on your Facebook group. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pull them somewhere. Maybe I'll ping out uh, an email on something and then get that figured out. Anyway, anyway, big fight this weekend. Who you got? Oh, AJ in the 10th. You? you think he's going to do it? He's got no chance, man. I, I saw the way in earlier. Uh, how, uh, no, he does have a chance. He's a he's a incredible puncher. He's he is a, a hard puncher. The, there's only probably one person that's a harder puncher than him, and that's Wilder. Yeah, and, and but the point is, he's, his punches are so slow that they're never going to find a small guy like. Uh, no, I don't. I'm, I he's, don't think they're slow. You, and also, Usyk's put on Usyk's about five, six pounds heavier. He's the heaviest he's ever been. Yeah, he might have lost yeah. some pace. Maybe, but I think as you get, no one gets no one gets lighter as a heavy. So, so I, th I think that's a natural progression in terms of the the way I see it is. I think AJ is mine's not in it, mate. Um, so I think he's out of there round six. He gets knocked out. Oh, uh, technical. No way. <laughs> he does not get knocked out round six. If uh, I Andy reckon he... Rui style, he gets he basically no and then the ref, way. the ref comes in, stops it. Oh um, no, his mindset is his mindset is sharp now. Absolutely. I've been watching loads of videos with him. He 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 either he either wins it uh, with a KO by the tenth, or if he hasn't done it by the tenth. He has gassed out, and he might get KO'd. I, I, anyway, I, it's going to be a great fight, um, and uh, good luck to both the, uh, the guys there. Um, all right, Adam, listen, enjoy Glasgow, mate. It's still sunny. It's still sunny. See ya. Um, yep, I'll see you next week, Enjoy. Mate. All the best.